From New York City, welcome to the OpenFin MVP podcast. We're your hosts, Mazi Dar and Chuck Dorr. Oh, this one's an easy one. I am a lot of work for the editors behind the scenes here. I have a number of verbal tics, mostly ums and other sorts of weird pauses, but I definitely am giving the editors work to do. And I'm trying to work really hard on not giving them as much work. That's my co-founder and co-host, Chuck Dorr. On this week's episode, Chuck and I have gotten together to talk about how the MVP podcast is going so far, how OpenFin is adapting to the new environment, and some of the latest developments in OpenFin OS. Chuck, we are now four weeks into the MVP podcast. As some people know, MVP stands for a few things. One of them is MVP is in most valuable player, but it's also MVP as in minimum viable product. So we're talking to leaders in the fin and tech space, but also we're talking about product and the innovations that lead to fast delivery and fast innovation. But MVP also is for our podcast. This is our MVP and our first attempt at it. And we've now completed the four-week sprint, as it were. So as with all good sprints, we are going to do a bit of a retrospective. My first question for you is, what are a couple of your favorite moments from the podcast so far? Well, I'm going to cheat a little bit here and start with the podcast that I hosted with Brendan O'Leary from GitLab. It was really interesting talking with Brendan because GitLab is an all-remote company. And there are some really great insights that they have. They have a, a, a remote playbook that they published as a company. But one of the things that really stood out to me from him was how focused they are as a company on asynchronous decision-making. It really drives productivity for them to not have to wait on people in different time zones and to have to do this artificial coordination of getting on, on meetings. And so they do a lot of their coordination asynchronously, so a lot of document-based stuff. I thought that was really interesting. And, and as you know, you've heard me talk to you about it as well. So I have. It's been really interesting trying to see how we can apply some of the lessons that we're learning in the MVP podcast within OpenFin. It's fascinating that they were an all-remote company well before all of this. 1,200 people as well. And, and they, did that, they did that growth to 1,200. They went from 400 to 1,200 in 2019, right? It's, it's really incredible. And yeah, hopefully gives us all confidence that we could do it too if need be. Yeah, and even a lot of our large customers have been public about their strategies and how successful they've been. Firms like Morgan Stanley have been out in the press talking about how they would never have planned to do this kind of a test, but have been really excited by how it turned out. Another favorite moment of mine was Stephen Murphy from Genesis Global talking about low-code environments. One of the things that I really like about the low-code environment is that it brings tools closer to the business. Right, And every time we can bring tools closer to the business and get more business eyes on the tools, the solutions end up being significantly better and more germane to the problem set that the business is dealing with. And in the low-code environment, you really can iterate tightly and operate that, that development velocity very, very tightly up against your business problems. Mozzie, what about on your side? Have there been a few moments that have really stood out for you from the podcast? Yeah, I'll mention a couple. My first one is John McAvoy talking about how terrible our original deck for OpenFin was that we showed him. It made me laugh. And I was also kind of thinking, I, I didn't think the deck was that bad. But, uh, you know, John is the, the right judge of that. 
But I loved the advice he gave around that, which is that at the very early stages, it's really more about the people than it is about the deck. And so I thought John made a, a, a great point around how he made the, the decision to invest in OpenFin. I also really love the advice that Maria Gotch from the Partnership Fund for New York City, the advice she gave to companies and entrepreneurs about not selling to customers during this period and really focusing on understanding customer pain points. That's usually good practice in general, but particularly in this environment, I thought that was really terrific advice. I've always really enjoyed the FinTech Innovation Labs, the focus around their procurement panels and and stuff like that. It really is different dealing with large institutions like global banks. And when you're trying to sell software or other services into them, navigating those firms, their guidance has been invaluable for us and I think most of the participants of the, the FinTech Lab. Absolutely. So Chuck, let's talk about some of the things that we'd like to do differently or better. What's one of the things you'd like to do differently? Oh, this one's an easy one. I am a lot of work for the editors behind the scenes here. I have a number of verbal tics, mostly ums and other sorts of weird pauses, but I definitely am giving the editors work to do. And I'm trying to work really hard on not giving them as much work. That's really funny. And actually a great opportunity for us to thank John Siracusa, who is producing the show for us and and making us sound really good, getting, getting rid of those ums and all the, the awkward moments. Thank you. And I have to say that I've noticed that, you know, Chuck and Mozzie, I think this is the fifth episode that we're doing so far. I've really noticed that you're finding your voice to be more comfortable as the host of a show and asking better questions. So I want to say that there's been a lot of improvement in that area. Well, it's really funny you should say that, John, because my twin brother, Kami, made a comment that my podcast voice sounds like Michael Barbaro from The Daily <laughs> and Reed Hoffman from Masters of Scale had a baby. So he was encouraging me to find my own podcast voice, and I'm going to be working on that in future episodes. You know, and most people don't know this, but we're actually, each one of us are working from home recording this podcast. The production is done fully remotely. Well, that is a great segue into our next topic, John, because at OpenFin, we conducted a work from home survey last week. And we got some pretty interesting results. Chuck, do you want to talk about the result that you found the most interesting or the most surprising? For sure, the most surprising thing that came out of the survey was that most of the company would be okay if we became all remote. Only 14% of the company said that they'd be extremely sad. But, you know, the, the, rest, the rest of the responses were all in the semi-positive zone or extremely positive. So 21% sad but comfortable, 46% great but they need to see their coworkers. They want to do social activities with them. And then a full 17% just straight happy being remote. So, you know, I, I would never have guessed that 86% of people within OpenFin would be okay with being remote. But, you know, we learn things, right, through these times. What about on your end, Mozzie? Yeah, I found that result quite interesting. It was a much higher number than I had expected. For me, the question about whether people found that they're more effective at the office or at home was the other surprising result. We had 19% said at the office, but 30% said from home and 51% said about the same. And again, I I would have thought that the number that found that they're more effective at the office would have been higher, 
But I guess that's it's pretty consistent with the the sentiment around becoming an all remote company that apparently it's going well so far. Yeah, no, not to put you on the spot, but where were you in there? I'll I'll let you know. I was I said about the same. I feel like I'm trading more active, proactive communication time for my commute time. Not that I had a long commute before, but I said about the same. Where where did you end up? I said about the same. Also, I basically need an internet connection and a laptop, and I could be anywhere in the world, and it would be just fine. I do miss seeing my coworkers every day, and and the office interaction. But from a productivity perspective, I think it's been it's been very similar. And as you said, it's we're we're saving the commute time. Although we both have pretty nice commutes, so can't <laughs> can't complain there. And your calendar is kind of remote by default anyway, even in peacetime. So that's true. Uh, I think you were kind of already ready for it. That's true. So Chuck, let's also spend a, a few minutes talking about the the Top Chef contest that we had, because I think of of the various activities we're, we've been doing to keep everybody engaged and, and to make this period that's that's otherwise quite difficult a little bit fun. That that seemed to be the thing that our team responded to the most, and people were really into it. So, do you want to talk a little bit about the contest and what the results were? Absolutely. And I think when we think about this Top Chef competition, we, we'd we like to think about it as an MVP, as a minimum viable product for a, a chef competition. There's some things that we would change about it, but we, we broke the, the company up over geographic boundaries. We had a London competition and a New York City competition and had the opposite regions. So New York votes on London, London votes on New York. At least that was the the premise you know, the voting process got a little screwed up because of polling in Zoom versus polling in Slack. And, you know, anyway, so there's a lot of technical challenges. But the most exciting thing is that we actually got winners, right? So in London, we had a, a chicken, leek, and ham pie, sort of like a pot pie done by Emma Raymond there, take honors for London, followed by Tim Dinsdale and Scott Stafford, Tim with a, a chicken tikka, and Scott with a lamb date and shallot tagine with tabbouleh and baba ganoush. Great stuff, beautiful pictures. I think the pictures are almost more important in these things than the, you know, than the dishes themselves. They did look good. <laughs> so good. On the New York City side of things, we had Lee C. win with pan-fried dumplings. She had leeks, pork, and shrimp in those dumplings. Then in second place, Michael Coates. Now, he really went above and beyond. He baked his own focaccia, as a base for a cheesesteak, right? Then proceeded to blowtorch sear New York strip steak, had some mushrooms and Swiss and Gouda. I mean, it was just, I think he even he even gilded the lily. He threw a fried egg on top. So that was pretty insane. And of course, last but know, not, not least, last and certainly the, the best, right? Because I have third place in New York City. For Mother's Day, I made a New Jersey inspired eggs benedict. So, you know, pork roll as the ham in the eggs benedict, poached egg, a little hollandaise sauce. That was my lovely wife's Mother's Day. But so, of course, I'm very proud of my third place New York finish. But I do have to give a shout out to John Linker, also in New York, who made pizza in the shape of Open Fin's logo. Wow. I think he thought he'd be able to, you know, get us to skew the voting process his way. But, you know, we do like the company shout out there but it, it only gets him an honorable mention. Well, based on all of the the entries and the results, I think it's possible that we're in the wrong business. There are some really, really solid cooking that happened at OpenFin. So Chuck, let's talk about our actual business at OpenFin. The base for OpenFin OS is the Google Chromium project. 
And there were some pretty interesting things that happened as a result of COVID. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and tell the listeners how we've responded? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, with with Chromium, they're on a very tight schedule. They put out a new major version of Chromium every six weeks. And so even the tiniest little disruption in their schedule can really cause some havoc. And so they had been working on Chrome 82 when COVID hit and their teams got dispersed. And that really, you know, that really just kind of put a wrench in their schedule. And because there's a number of releases that are happening in parallel, it's not like they can just delay one and, you know, have that all work out from a timing perspective. So they did something that they haven't really done before, which is just kill a release. So there's no such thing as Chrome 82. It went from Chrome 81 to Chrome 83. We just got Chrome 83 last week. And what's particularly interesting about that from an OpenFin perspective is that OpenFin takes every other major release and we were on even numbers. And so we were, you know, we were on Chrome 80 for OpenFin 15 and we were scheduled to be on Chrome 82 for OpenFin 16. And with all the schedules getting mixed up and skipping Chrome 82, you know, now we're on 83. And it looks like going forward, we're trying to get ourselves aligned properly and all that. But it looks like we're going to stay on odd numbers going forward. Sounds great. So it'll be next release will be 16.83. And then we're going to go to 17.85. The other exciting development, and this has been happening over the, the last several months, is the introduction of the new platform API that gives developers really easy tools to customize the look and feel of a platform and both the the visuals as well as the behavior of a platform. Chuck, tell us a little bit about the platform API and how it's helping developers. The platform API is based around things we call views. You can think of a view as a as a reusable component that could be incorporated into any number of different workflows. And because we've got reusability here at the component level as opposed to the code level, right, the ownership of that component can be held on disparate sets of teams, right? So you can have, you know, one team responsible for charting, another team responsible for, you know, live ticking market data, another team doing the trading functionality or other analysis. And, you know, it's this this composability of those views, being able to take views from different sources, you know, largely to date, those sources have been internal at the larger firms. But really with the platforms API, we're starting to reach outside of our firm's walls and starting to leverage components from third parties, you know, bringing in, you know, analysis from a a leading vendor, bringing in visualization tools from another, another vendor. And so really this composability and not just not just visual composability, right? But really having uh, interoperability built in as a, as a core feature of the platform API, that's something that's really changing how people are thinking about you know, building their platforms. Yeah, and the response so far has been incredibly positive. Some, some folks have already gone to production with their apps built on the platform API, and it's been well over 25 firms, major firms that we've spoken with about the API and who are actively working on it. So it's it's been it's been really great to see and I think that that is going to be a huge accelerator for for developers to create really amazing experiences for end users on the desktop. Let's also spend a few minutes talking about security. It's a topic we've been focused on for many years now, 
I'm with the Electron Open Source Project for four or five years, looking at how to improve the security. And, and really, the project's come a long way. Chuck, what's the state of play right now with security? What should people know about how to ensure desktop security? Yeah, the, the main message here is separation of concerns. So really, you know, allowing your developers to focus on delivering functionality that's relevant to your business and really pushing the security stuff down a layer. So when you get a runtime from OpenFin, that runtime is signed by us, right? And so, you know, when you're using it and when you're deploying your platform on OpenFin, you know that that hasn't been modified. It hasn't been mistakenly compromised in the process of you building it. But if you're building your own container, you know, your developers are in there, they might mistakenly take a shortcut or something like that and end up in a situation where some of that security is compromised. And the same would hold true, right, Chuck, of the Chromium project itself. If I were to build a vanilla Chromium browser myself, it's possible I would have introduced a bug or a security flaw into it. And the only way that a customer would know that I'd done that is if they did their own pen testing on the product. Whereas when the product comes signed by Google, there's a level of assurance that the customer has that their own engineers would not have introduced a bug or that a vendor would not have introduced a bug. Yeah, that's right. And really, though, this separation of concerns goes much deeper into the Chromium land than you'd think. So, you know, over 70% of Chrome's high severity security bugs are memory safety problems, right? So that's pointer mismanagement in C++. I think over half of those are about are use after free style bugs, right? So these are these are really dangerous bugs. And so, you know, the way that the Chromium team is trying to implement some separation of concerns in their project is they're trialing using memory safe languages for parts of the Chromium code base. So moving away from C and C++ towards safer languages like Rust. So what Google is doing is walling off their engineers and preventing them from introducing security problems into the core security layer. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, even with all of their focus around making Chrome the most secure browser, these kinds of developer mistakes are just incredibly hard to control, which is why, again, this technique of separating the concerns and really saying, okay, we're going to put security in this bucket over here, and we're going to put our business functionality in this bucket over here, you know, is a tool that everyone should be thinking about. Well, that's great. Chuck, this has been really fun to, to catch up and to, to do our retrospective. Before we go, how are you doing personally? What's the, the work from home situation like for you right now? It's honestly been kind of fine. I'm down in New Jersey on the shore. I've had a house down here for a number of years. And when things got a little bit hairy in the city, we picked up and moved down here. Schools were closed. But I don't have a small family. I've got four kids under 11. And I also have a relatively new dog. And my wife is doing a wonderful job managing all of the craziness that happens in the house on a daily basis with homeschooling and all the, you know, I've got toddler ballet happening over Zoom. You know, there's just all kinds of crazy stuff happening. Everyone's getting fed. Everyone's getting outside. I know I've been bothering everyone at OpenFin with this, but I'm running every day. I, I hate running, but I've been getting up every morning and taking my my running pill, doing just a quick two miles to get out of the house and try to, you know, try to have some sanity. How are things on your end, Mozzie? I think this is the longest that we haven't seen each other in person since you were in London back at CreditX. I'm doing well. You know, we decided to stay in the city. We live downtown in Battery Park City. 
it's been relatively quiet here because a lot of people moved out of the city like yourself. But we've been having similar challenges to, to others with homeschooling and keeping the kids engaged. I've also been doing a daily run or trying to do a daily run when I can to stay in shape and keep my sanity. So I think on balance, we're doing well. And it feels like we're in New York City getting back to a good place. There's still a long way to go, but there's a lot of progress that has been made in the last several weeks. So hopefully that continues. And at some point, we will be able to see one another again. And I know we're all looking forward to that. So we'll wrap it there. That was a good four-week sprint retrospective. And now on to the next episode. Thank you, John Syracuse. And thank you, Chuck. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. Same here. This is fun. Those were some of our favorite moments from our first four episodes. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to the MVP podcast on your favorite podcast channel. Join us next time as we speak with innovators and thought leaders in finance and technology on the OpenFin MVP podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.